But it, that's where the Bible tells us to go into all the world, not to just tell them, come here. We're to be out there giving the message. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And oftentimes, people, the people that are lost, they don't even know they're lost. But Jesus came to seek and to save them. And so the Father must reveal the Son of God to people. And so Peter knew who Jesus was. But he still felt like he had the need to defend him. You know, later on, Jesus talks about to Pilate, says, my kingdom is not of this world, otherwise my servants would fight. And so it is the message Jesus has given to his disciples saying, you know, his kingdom is not the kingdom of this world, but as the spiritual kingdom. If you look at Peter, he had two swords. He had the sword of the spirit. The sword of the Spirit, the Bible says, is the Word of God. Ephesians 6.17 says to take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Peter had the Old Testament available to him. He had the Word of God. He had what was needed for spiritual warfare. He also had a physical sword. And perhaps Peter is thinking about what Jesus said earlier when he said he didn't have two coats, um, sell one and buy a sword. You know, perhaps Peter is thinking, now is the time that we're to be using what Jesus told us to be armed with. But what did Peter do when he struck off the servants here? He used in a spiritual battle a spiritual crisis, so to speak, a material, a physical sword. And that's not what Christ had called his apostles to. Now, many of them were looking for you that. They read in some of the scriptures where it talks about how Jesus would rule, um, would rule with an iron fist, basically, that he would, or with a rod of iron, uh, rule with a rod of iron, that um, he would established his kingdom on earth, that all the kingdoms would become the Lord's. And so many of them were looking to a, for a military Messiah, one that would get Rome out of Israel. But that time is not yet. And Jesus came to build a spiritual kingdom first. Second Corinthians 10.3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God through the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that is sold to itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And so here Paul writes about how the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal. Okay? It's not swords, it's not guns. Okay? I'm not saying you know, don't have any of those. Okay? Jesus told Peter to have a sword by a sword. But as far as in advancing the kingdom of God, that it was never to be used in defense of the faith. That it wasn't ever to be used 
to advance the faith. Now, personal and family protection would be another matter. Over and over in scriptures, you see families protecting their families. But when it comes to the, our faith, we aren't armed with weapons of the, this world to protect that. But we're rather to, through God, pull down strongholds, um, and, and it, which would be a metaphor for fortresses. And it would have readily been understandable to the Corinthians, since Corinth, like most ancient cities, had a fortress on top of the hill south of the city, in which this residence would run to and take refuge when time was when it was needed to, to do so. And this spiritual stronghold is held by the devil can only be demolished by spiritual witness. It's not going to be about winning the debate. It's not going to be as Islam does and spreading their faith by the sword. That's not how the faith in Christ is to be spread. But that would be with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Only the truth of God's word can defeat satanic falsehoods. That's what a true spiritual warfare would be. But so often we as Christians, we think the answer is something else. Sometimes we can think, you know, we just need to change the politics. You know what, sure, that, you know, that maybe would help things on this earth, but it's not going to change things spiritually. You know, you think about it, maybe some of the issues that maybe are controversial to some, as far as like abortion, okay, pro-life versus pro-death, okay, you might call it pro-choice, you like to sanitize it, but you, you take that issue, you know, rather trying to just win the debate with a word of words, it's through giving the word of God. You know, like you talk, talk about, you know, bringing someone to an understanding of Jesus Christ. And understanding that we are sinners, we need Christ as our Savior. And as they get saved, as they then have the indwelling of the Spirit of God in them and follow the Word of God, that will help them change their understanding about the issues. Again, homosexuality, completely against God's design. But instead of just trying to make them be straight, you know, trying to get them to see who Jesus Christ is. Now, once they see Jesus, and once they understand there is a Creator, that God has laid out things for us, um, how we would, um, we how we would live. Stuttering more with the lack of sleep. Hopefully, they still understand. But you know, you get them, you have an understanding of who God is who the Savior is. That will help change their things. Sometimes we try to get the cart before the horse, but what we're in is a spiritual warfare. It's not about Republican versus Democrat. It's about, you know, people were lost, and they need Jesus Christ. They need Him to give them a new, new worldview. Jesus even said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from him. 
Jesus said unto him, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. Jesus lets his disciples know, go, Tonight you're going to be offended of me. He says that you know that the shepherd shall be struck and the sheep will be scattered. Jesus said, or Peter responded and said, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Peter, you know, trying to be that leader that he is, he goes, no, everyone else may forsake you. Everyone else may leave you. Everyone else may be offended by your name, but I will never leave continues on as who will know. Jesus ends up telling him, said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that means truly I say unto thee, that, that this night, before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. The rooster would crow after he, Peter, has already denied him three times. Verse 35, so Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. He wasn't the only one. The Bible says, likewise also said all the disciples. And so they were all affirming their faith in him, that they would follow him to the end, that they're not going to let him down. They're all saying, we won't be us. No, we followed you these three and a half years, and we will not forsake you. In John 13, 37, Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I, Lord, because Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. And here we see Peter in his zealous defense in chapter 18 takes his sword, instantly laid their hands on Jesus, he was probably getting in for the man's head, swings, slices the man's ear off. And Jesus like, you know what? I'm not going to be offended. I am going to take a stand with Jesus. Matthew 26, 53. This is a parallel account of what we're reading in John with him cutting this man's ear off. You look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew um, 26, verse 53 says, Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? And Peter again, he's saying he's doing a good thing, protecting his poor. And Jesus tries to bring back. When he says, you know what? Shall I not drink this cup that the Father's given me a drink? Shall not the scripture be fulfilled? That you know what? I can call down 12 legions of angels and they would come to my defense. A legion in Rome would be 6,000 men. So this is 72,000 angels. And Jesus says, I can call down, pray to the Father, 72,000 angels come to my defense. I tell him, you know, that's not for the time. That he must do what he must do, that he was born to die. 
In verse 54, he says, But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled? That thus it must be. So all the gospel accounts mention this event of Peter cutting the man's ear off. Luke is the only one that specifies a unique miracle. Why? I don't know. Perhaps, maybe because Luke is a doctor, uh, and so maybe he paid more interest in it. Now everything ends up happening really quickly. Maybe not too many people noticed, but it would have been pretty obvious that he struck, as his hair was struck off, you see Jesus as a miracle, going to verse 51, it says, and Jesus suffered in Luke 22, 51, and Jesus answered and said, suffer ye thus far, and he touched his ear and healed him. His ear has just been sliced off, and Jesus touches his ear, and then his ear is made whole. It's the only instance in all of Scripture where Christ healed a fresh wound. It's a miracle that's unique in that Christ killed one of his enemies. Someone coming to arrest him. And Jesus goes on. What's that say about loving your enemies? Loving your enemies, praying for your enemies. And you know what's in the next? Man didn't stop down and say, oh my ear, please help me. At least you can ask Jesus that. Without any evidence of faith on the recipient. You know, oftentimes Jesus says, you know what? If thou hast faith, be made whole. Here we don't see any mention of that. It's also remarkable that such a dramatic miracle, seeing, seeing a body part completely torn from the flesh, and then Jesus touches it and is made whole. You would think everybody would be like, whoa, what just happened? Hey, maybe we don't want to arrest this guy. But we don't see that. We see they continue on with what their plan was. He carried on with the arrest as if nothing peculiar had happened. It's a hard man, so hard, that they see the Son of God right there to a miraculous killing, and they go on to arrest him. Then took they him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house, and Peter followed afar off. And Peter was kind of curious. He wanted to kind of know, okay, what's going on? Like, follows afar off. Maybe he thinks about what Jesus just did, what he just told him. They took him. John 18, John 18 and verse 12, says that the man and the captain and officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him and led him away to Annas first, for he was father-in-law to Cephas, which was the high priest that same year. Now Cephas was he which gave counsel to the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. So if Caiaphas believing that Jesus should die for the people, he's thinking all in the physical sense, but yet he gives a prophecy spiritually, not intentionally, but that Jesus would die for the people. That one man would die for all. 
In verse 15, it says, And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. This is John writing about himself in the third party. Um, he'll often write about, if we read it, you'll see that he talks about the other disciple, um, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Um, he would write in, in, in those fashions, and you could figure that out by comparing the different gospel accounts where John is saying this other disciple, another one would say Peter and John. Um, but so Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple, being John. That disciple was known unto the high priest, and went in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door without. Then went out that other disciple, which was known unto the high priest, and spake unto her that kept the door, and brought in Peter. Then saith the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, Art not thou also one of this man's disciples? He saith, I am not. It's the first time. Sammy denies that he knows Jesus. Denies that he's one of his disciples. Now John was known unto the high priest. Perhaps it was because he was an entrepreneur fisherman. He wasn't just a casual fisherman, but he had many, many boats, the Bible talks about, and that he had many servants, many hired servants to assist him in the business and stuff. Um, and his father started out um, as being involved in all of that. It was his father's business. It is thought according to one writing, an ancient writing, it's not found in the Bible, but an ancient writing, that John used to deliver fish to the high priest's house. And with John being well known, he was allowed to enter with Jesus into the court of the high priest. Peter, however, was not and was left standing outside the door. But we see John was able to use his influence to talk to the doorkeeper, the lady, and to let him, Peter, come in. And so John gets Peter to be able to come in the door instead of being left outside. Imagine what John thought as he would have likely heard, possibly heard, I should say this in Facebook for sure, but he possibly heard Peter say, no, I'm not. We do see John writing about it now, so probably did here. Okay? So, so we see that he says, I am not one of his disciples. John 18, 18, and his servants and officers stood there who made a fire of coals, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. The high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples, and of his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spake openly to the world. I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple, whither the Jews always resort, and in, and in secret have I said nothing. Why askest thou me? Ask them which heard me, what I have said unto them. Behold, they know what I said. There's no young need to come to me. People that heard me, ask them what I taught. Ask them what my doctrine is. 
When he had thus spoken, one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Answer thou the high priest so? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why smitest thou me? Now Annas had sent him bound unto Gephias the high priest. And then we end up seeing one that's related to the man who had his ear cut off, recognize him and question him about seeing him in the garden of Jesus. Notice this in Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. He said, Therefore unto him, Art thou also one of his disciples? And he denied him. So before we get to the other man, but we see these others, they go, Peter, you're one of his disciples. And he denied him and said, I am not one of the servants of the high priest, and being his kinsman, whose ear Peter cut off, saying, Did not I see thee in the garden with me? Now this irritates Peter. And that he, this man saw him that his relative Zerah says, you know, I've seen you in the garden. Peter then denied it again, and immediately the cock crew. Denied him again, third time. The cock crew for the second time. You know, you'll read some of the Gospels, and it talks about um, the top crowing, and then the other time talks about you said um, the second it'll, it'll crow two times and it would happen. Some try to make that out to be a contradiction, um, but you study it out, kind of research it out. You know, one there's different possibilities. Could be that um, you know if there's a particular um, rooster when that one would um, crow, it's, it's it's about an hour apart. Well, Mark talks about when it crows the second time, um, you'll deny me three times. You see, um, Mark expands on this, says, And the maid saw him again and began to say to them that stood by, This is one of them. And he denied it again. And a little after, they that stood by, he said again to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agree of thereto. But he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom ye speak. Now remember, this is the same man that told Jesus, Though all men be offended in thee, yet will not I. I'm willing to go to death with you. I'm willing to die by thy side. I will never deny thee. And Jesus had just told them, you're going to be fucking denying me three times. You think maybe that first time the thought came to his mind, he would have thought of it. No, denying him three times. One that got to walk on the water. He's the only one that was willing to jump out of the boat. And he walked on the water, Jesus holding him up. Sure, he had a lapse of faith, and he sunk. He's the only one day who was willing to jump out. <coughs> he saw, again, the miracles of Christ. And yet, he denied himself. 
saying, I know not this man with whom you speak. Mark 14, verse 9 says, And the second time the cotton crew, and Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said unto him, Before the cock crew Christ, thou shalt deny me thrice. And when he thought thereon, he wept. Now it's smoke. It hit him. And he had just denied Jesus three times. Some things we can learn from this. Boasting of our abilities is an invitation to fail. We boast of our abilities. It's an invitation to failure. Bible says in Proverbs 16 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. We must guard ourselves from pride. The spirit of pride develops in our life. We're going to fall flat. No wonder James also writes about saying that no man should really say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. But rather, we should say, if the Lord will, this is what I plan to have an understanding that you know that God's sovereign and that we're not telling God what we're going to do, but asking God to exercise his will through us. But pride goeth before destruction. Think about when. Even Adam first took him that forbidden fruit. They were told, you know what, they would become his gods. They would have a knowledge of good and evil. And sure we do. We have a knowledge of good and evil now. We have not become his gods. But that pride led them to that sin. The pride was the sin. You see the sin of Satan. If saying, and you see an I say that. He says, I will be like the most high. And he would be equal, that he would be greater than God. And God casts him out. Denial of Christ brings guilt and shame. We see with the life of Judas that he ends up betraying Christ. And Judas ends up feeling to some sense some great sorrow that what he had done did not satisfy. He tried bringing the coins back. Saying, you know, I betrayed innocent blood. And they're like, what is that to us? You know, you do whatever you want with that. But he couldn't put it in the treasury because it was for the price of blood. But we see he got suicidal and committed suicide. We see Peter denied knowing Christ. And he wept in shame. Thankfully, we do see a true repentance. You know, if Jesus had told Peter early on, you know, when thou art converted, you know, I'll feed my lambs, feed my sheep. And you know, if Peter would go on, Preach the gospel. Just think about that burden, that shame he felt denying Christ. 
Christ. You know, there could be ways that we deny Him. We, we deny Him in our daily devotions. Perhaps we deny Him in that we never speak of our faith in Christ. Perhaps around certain people we don't speak of our faith. It just brings shame. But Jesus talks about those that would not be ashamed of his name. And there's the lost that reject him. And it brings eternal damnation. Jesus said, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For he believe not that I am he, he shall die in your sins. In Hebrews 10.26 it says, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth. There remain of no more sacrifice for sins. That, you know, if, if we sin willfully in the sense that you know, we reject Christ, we've heard the gospel, we've heard the message, but there's not going to be another sacrifice. There's not going to be another Messiah that comes. But, it's, but a certain fearful looking for a judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversary. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. You know, they violated Moses' law, and they would be put to death by two or three witnesses. Hebrews 10, verse 29, continues on. Of how much sore punishment suppose he shall he be thought worthy to have trodden underfoot the Son of God, Okay, it's like you take the name of the Son of God and trample it under feet. It's a complete rejection of Christ and trample the Son of God under feet. Counting the blood of the covenant where he was sanctified, an unholy thing. That they look at the blood of Christ is as dirty, as unholy, and have done despite unto the Spirit of grace. You know, the Bible talks about how the Spirit recruits the world. But reproves the word of righteousness, of sin, and of judgment. But they reject the promptings of the Spirit of grace. For we know him that have said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord, and again the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So the lost. Reject them, are rejecting the only sacrifice that could save them from their sins. Judas betrayed, betrayed Christ, committed suicide. Peter, he denied that he knew him. But we do see his life changes, and that we see he writes in the first second epistle of Peter. We see him often writing about the experiences that he went through. And what used to be his weaknesses ends up being his strengths in walking in the spirit instead of in the flesh. And that's where we must remember, we can't fight spiritual warfare with physical weapons. Peter tried following Jesus in his own power. And it fell in his own power, he thought, I will never deny him. Never. 
and then everybody else might, but not me. Try that in his own power. But Jesus said in Matthew 26, 41, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know, sometimes the spirit is willing. You know what? Peter had a heart of gold. He's like, I won't deny you. But in the flesh, he became weak. As people started to question them. Like, you follow that man? This man that just got arrested for blasphemy? And you follow him? He's like, no, I don't know the man. I've never met the man. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And may we realize that about ourselves. That's where the Bible talks about when we need to exhort someone else to sin, sin and, and try and get, them to get things right with the Lord, that we don't do it in a haughty spirit. But that we consider ourselves also, that we likewise can be tempted. Ephesians chapter 6. See, the Apostle Paul writes about the spiritual armor of God that we need to fight this battle. It says, finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. They may be able to withstand against the wiles of the devil as his tricks. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. You know, in this world, we see the politics of the various governments all around the world. But the Bible says, you know, our battle isn't with the physical, but it is with the spiritual, where Satan is continuing to keep blind those that are lost, lest they see the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the gospel is to shine through, but we're the ones that are supposed to shine it through. Against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. We may be a people of truth. And having on the breastplate of righteousness. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, where we shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. I'll go over that sometime this week, Ephesians chapter 6. 
and look at the different parts of the armor. And that's what we're going to be putting on, is the whole armor of God, that we may be able to withstand the devil and withstand the evil day, that we may not deny Christ in our own life, to deny that we know him. We have the spirit of God dwelling within us. May we not be prideful in thinking it can't ever happen to us. Let's go ahead and stand. And, you know, I think we're going to go ahead and sing a hymn that we didn't do earlier. Solomon, come on up and we'll sing the song of the new variant. Best way to get rid of all of the variants is to turn the television off. Okay. Understand also that our work there is not physical. It's a spiritual 